Hello, and today on the Operation Limitless Show, we have the extreme honor to talk with Mr. Jerry Seidel. Jerry, thank you for being here. Give me one of those. Thank you very much. Thank you. Oh, my goodness. What Going off screen here, Sal is intimidating Mark or trying. <laughs> anyway, Jerry and his team are behind the marketing of such well-known products as SlimFast, Airborne Health, Creative Health, and most recently, Youth Theory. And we're excited to talk with Jerry, not only because of his business success and the things he does, but really his unique personal pursuits and how his theories on recharging your mind, body, and spirit keep you at the top of your game. Jerry most recently just got back from a dog sled trip to North Pole, Alaska in the last week or so, correct? That's correct. Awesome. Jerry, thanks for being on the show. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. (laughs) Absolutely. So give us a little bit about your journey we always kind of start there or almost always unless mark's leading the charge and then you never know where it's going to start but <laughs> but so my journey through life well, how did you get what brought you into the business world and then what made you kind of decide that i really need to do these kind of adventures to keep myself really feeling fresh and motivated so mm-hmm. well i my life was an adventure i think since the day i was born but the long and short of it was i was actually uh never destined for what i'm doing it was just happenstance um Grew up in the Midwest in Wisconsin on a dairy farm, so I've been working since I was four. And the story of a farmer's life, right? Yeah, he's not you, wrong. you know, so I, I was ready to retire twenty years. <laughs> if we if we look at it just from years, but um, even through the farm days, growing up on a small town, you know, in a small town on a dairy farm, I've been working jobs too mm-hmm. uh, to make money since I was uh, in fourth grade and have never stopped working or being employed by somebody since, or myself. Um, And the whole reason behind that was I always wanted to be able to do things, to do journeys and adventures, and it takes money to do some of those things, but uh, life is a journey. And so um, after college in the Midwest, I moved out to Los Angeles to pursue my music career. Uh, It was one of my first uh, college degrees was in music and that was my passion I played uh, in, in bands for a decade and uh, what instrument I was a lead singer but I also played uh, really? six or seven instruments How and, cool is that? Uh, and and I you know some of my bandmates uh, actually went on and are quite famous today and a lot of well-known top billboard acts Rick can you share that or uh, like OAR uh, the, lead, the lead guitarist for OER was in my okay uh, so um, I ended up in LA and I knew I had to make some money while I'm pursuing my goal of making it in the big time. And I had other degrees from college and so uh, I went into a interview through a headhunter and uh, got into the pharmaceutical industry, consumer products. Um, And of course the competition was fierce and I was a farm boy from Wisconsin so I knew I wouldn't get the job with all those (laughs) candidates sitting out the room. So uh, after my interview, I went up to the guy that interviewed me and said, I know you interviewed a lot of experienced people here. I says, I'm just a farm boy from Wisconsin, so I'll make you an offer you can't refuse. Hire me and don't pay me for the first couple months. And then you have nothing to lose. And of course, I wasn't the most qualified, but they hired me. And of course, they they paid me from day one. Okay. The fact that I was willing to go that route, I think put him over the edge. And uh, set yourself certainly apart from the crowd. I did. And um, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, the money got to be so great so quickly, and I got promoted so fast. Within six months, I just never thought about the music career anymore. And mm. here I am, exactly almost 37 years later, uh, still in the same industry, uh, and um, had a successful career. And I was able to do a lot of things I probably wouldn't have been able to do 
singing as a front guy in a band <laughs> unless I really made it big, but those chances are pretty slim. So I've had a successful career, but it wasn't the path I started out on. Very interesting. But I've been able to do what I ultimately wanted to do, and that is pursue things like travel and adventures and programs and further education and things just to stimulate the mind and the body. You know, when I, when I started with you, uh, mm -hmm. Brett, uh, in martial arts, it was all about the mindset, you know. I, it wasn't about the martial arts as it was, was the discipline and the yeah. strategy and all of that. That's mm -hmm. what I got out of it. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, that's the one and only tattoo I ever got, mind, body, spirit, right on nice. my face. And I got that after I started doing martial arts in years ago. Really? Wow. So Mr. Darger and I got those uh, at the same time, I think. Yeah, I haven't but seen Mr. Darger in a while. We, we, well, I was going to say, you've, you've seen him. I think I've seen some yeah, interactions on Facebook. Um, so, you know, getting a little off track, but I, I think my point was that my only goal in life was to experience as many things as I could do before I die. And we don't know when that is. Right. I could have been 20 years ago, and it could be tomorrow. Mm -hmm. But if I did die tomorrow, and I'm only 58, I definitely, and I had a few last words I can, I can look back and go, yeah, I think I've experienced quite a, th quite a bit in life. So there's no regrets, and, and, and that's really what life is, is mm -hmm. experiences. And so you talked about the dog sled adventure last week in Alaska. That's been on my bucket list, but it took a friend of me to convince me, you know, you're right, I, it's been on my list too, let's do it. And two weeks later, we were in Fairbanks. <laughs> so, and on our way to North Pole, Alaska for dog sledding. <laughs> So it's just, you know, it's about pursuing different things and really uh, refocusing on what's really important in life. So I've had a great career, but the career is nothing more than a means to get me through different experiences, which I probably wouldn't be able to do without having the career and the, the financial capabilities mm. of doing some of those sure. things. So, yeah. so l let's talk a little bit about the career. Um, you got into the pharmaceuticals, but you could have jumped ship to a different industry, I'm assuming. What kept you in that? What, what, what was the thing? Because if you like adventure, there must have been some there for you, like developing product, getting it to market, so that kind of thing, or what? Yeah, and you know, my aptitude in my career has always been sales and sales and marketing. Um, and I've kind of reached the top of that in terms of, you know, now I'm overseeing sales and marketing and a significant sized team. but. I've been with very small startup companies or altogether startups from scratch and growing them into large companies, which then sold off to bigger companies, or I've started in mid-tier companies to take them to the next level. And when you're with those kinds of organizations, you may be hired for one thing, but you cross paths of everything. So I've been fortunate because in my industry, as an example, if you start in sales, you pretty much your whole aptitude through your career sales or marketing it's marketing or operations it's operations you I've, been with, I've, yeah. been, I've done it yeah. all I've done product development R&D operations shipping warehousing logistics yes my you know front and center sales and marketing is what it's all about because none of those departments <laughs> exist until a product is sold yeah but um, what you'll find in smaller companies that turn into bigger companies is when they're small and they're private they're very entrepreneurial, which every company I've ever been part of has been entrepreneurial, is you do cross paths with every area. And that's great because what happens if a plane goes down tomorrow and half the company goes down, no one knows how to pick up. And in small organizations, everyone knows everyone else's job. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Plus it gives you just 
an experience of being able to understand what everyone else does and appreciate because we all get pigeonholed into this okay I'm working too much or I'm working too hard and I don't like to say that because so is everyone else mm-hmm. in that same organization if you're in the same organization you're all doing the same kinds of things all working with the same end goal you're all doing the jobs of three or four people but the rewards are so are great because it is private it is smaller it isn't that corporate kind of traditional structure um, and through all of that you know we've built these companies and you, know, you mentioned a few of them I have been fortunate I've been with companies that were nothing and sold for three billion dollars Slimfast was my biggest and first career path from for 15 years uh, helping to build that brand and that brand sold for just under three billion dollars back in 1999. Congratulations, that's a huge accomplishment to be in on that. Yeah, and and then I went on with, uh, you know, other key executives from that company and we got together and formed a company called Prestige Brands. And the whole objective of that company was to buy other brands from companies that were Mm has-beens and turn them around, repackage, remarket, and turn them into winners again, and we did that. And so those brands started to re you know, elevate to the top of the stratosphere. Um, brands like Chloroseptic, Prel Shampoo, um, Mirene, Clear Eyes. I mean, these are big brands yeah. once again. Mm-hmm. And those were all part of the portfolio at Prestige. And then Prestige went and got merged and sold off. And we did that in 2004, just a couple of years after I mm-hmm. met you and was in martial arts. And we sold that company for a very large price. And uh, then I formed a consulting company and uh, and I've done a combination of my own consulting as part of my company or going to work helping startups, yeah. either as sales, marketing, mm-hmm. CEO, whatever. And then in the last couple of years, I've uh, gone into taking mid-tier companies that were already well off and started, but take them to the next level. And that's kind of where I'm at with my career today with a company that we're doing about $200 million a year, not a, not a bad piece of business. and. Uh, the ultimate goal, of course, is to grow these companies and sell them. And so whenever that might be, uh, one year, two year, five years down the line, mm-hmm. I'm just uh, happy to be part of it and knowing that I'm shaping what will become another mega brand, mega company. Sure. Yeah, obviously, very impressive career, but you made the comment in the middle of all that, uh, and it sounds like you're very passionate about what you do, but you also said, correct me if I'm wrong, that those are just that's just what you do on in between adventures, right? It's it, kind of like really what pays is. for the adventure. It so, really what's is. the best adventure you've been on? Well, it's it's interesting. You have to put it in perspective, and I hate to say this, but from an adventure standpoint, it was just this past weekend. It okay. was the Alaska trip. You know, I was telling Brett uh, just since January, I've been on three trips, even with COVID. I, I've been to you know uh, Mexico, and I've been to Las Vegas a couple times, a couple short trips, a couple of long trips, Hawaii. Uh, and the adventure in Alaska was probably the best adventure. And part of it was probably because I grew up in a similar culture and atmosphere and climate in Wisconsin. Yeah, Wisconsin, Wisconsin might be a little really colder. Really aren't that different. Uh, Wisconsin might be a little bit colder than Fairbanks, actually. <laughs> I, <would laughs> really, I really believe that. it is. No, no, no. With the lake effect, you're probably not. I, I was going to say, think I it is. Think, yeah. isn't Wisconsin or is Wisconsin or Michigan has Minnesota. the cold? Minnesota, Minnesota has the coldest place in the yeah. U.S. And maybe maybe we can sidebar at some point in time, and somebody could tell me how Upper Peninsula is considered Michigan when it's actually connected to Wisconsin. We need to talk about that. Yeah. Mark, Mark anyway? has apparently got a burr under his cell. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. 
understand it. That's what it says to me. So what made Fair, what made the Alaska trip so great is we flew into Fairbanks, and of course, it was a very fast four day all nighter, and everything goes on at night up there. So the best, you know, we did dog sled till three in the morning. We went snowmobiling late. We sat in the hot springs with 120 degree water with 10 below air temperatures. Wow. Very invigorating, by the way. Sure. But we did all these adventures. We did them all. We did as much as we could in four days. And the thing that made it so much better than just a trip to a lot or Mexico or Hawaii was you can go on those great vacations. Everyone does these things or wants to do these things. And maybe they do frequently or maybe once in a lifetime. And I've done them, and they're great. But I got back from Alaska and realized just how important it was just <laughs> to be outside in nature with the ground and the dirt and the trees and the air. It, it, it sounds kind of crazy on the surface, but it put things into perspective in ways I haven't had in my mind for a couple of years. And you just realize how insignificant everything else is. And the people that we were on these journeys with, the locals, you know, the young couple that were our mushers on the two sleighs we used for the dog sledding, they just were so happy, you know, the fact that they have to work these long weeks and days taking care of their, their dogs and their sled and hunting off the land and hunting for caribou for their meat in the winter. This is their lifestyle. And it's just so at, they're so at peace with themselves. But when I got back, I just thought, you know what, that was the most relaxing trip, most invigorating trip. And on Tuesday, my first full day back in my home office, I had the longest day and it was the most productive day I've had <laughs> in a year. Mm -hmm. And it was stress-free and I got more done multitasking. I, went, I thought about it at the end of the day and I went, why, why was that? Why did I get so much done today with such a clear, thought process and it was because I had just gotten back from Alaska yeah mm -hmm. and I I usually get back from a trip like Hawaii or Mexico and your stress the emails and the the, the work you're behind on yeah you need a vacation from your vacation sometimes Not right this trip this trip was different this trip just set a tone that you can apply you have to just it keeps everything in perspective <laughs> Wow, you're interested. Yeah, pardon me. Yeah, hopefully, I'm not. <laughs> no, you're, you're <laughs> stimulating <laughs> me. That's what's going on. <laughs> but um, it's it's really hard to put into words why you know why that is. But part of it was nature, and part of it was just putting things into perspective. Yeah, there's there's a ton of science that that really backs up what you experienced, right? Three days in nature, like as a minimum, as a flow trigger, mm -hmm. and you were in that environment, and the neurochemical rush that you get from being there and experiencing that has what's called a crossover effect into the next days and mm -hmm. several days that go from that. So I'm not surprised to hear that that next day was like amazing mm -hmm. because it's the residual effects of that flow state. Yeah. And and so many big companies, uh, you know, are. This is now part of their day, Patagonia. You're allowed to go leave and go surfing. Surf's up, you get to go if that's what you want to do, right? Microsoft, or excuse me, uh, Google has their 20% time, right? 20% of your of your work hours can be spent on some passion project, something that you want, mm -hmm. same kind of thing. 3M started that with their, they called it 15% time, still do it, same kind of, because they realize how important that total disconnect yes. and to go find your thing is important to actual productivity 
the whole grind, hustle, and grind. You know, it's really strange as I have as I've gotten older. As people, especially in business careers, you have a hard time sleeping at night. You know, I fall asleep immediately, which is not necessarily a good thing. Right. right? You should fall asleep gradually over twenty minutes, and then mm -hmm. sleep a nice, sound seven or eight hours. So I fall asleep instantly. Falling asleep has never been my problem. It's keep me staying asleep. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I never get into that REM deep sleep because I always awake precisely at four hours and out of pattern now because I know I can't fall back to sleep. I literally get up and do something for an hour. And then I go back to bed and I sleep another three or four hours if mm -hmm. I'm lucky. Sometimes it's three, sometimes it's two. Um, when I got back from Alaska, I slept soundly for three nights without waking up. But more importantly, I kept telling the people I was up there on this journey with, you know, it's three o'clock in the morning. We just got done dog sledding. We're out in an ice fishing shack. It's eight below zero. We're catching glimpses of the northern lights. We're doing all these things. Why am I wide awake when I shouldn't be? And I had, I was not tired in the least. The adrenaline, the natural adrenaline from everything I was doing, which I didn't get when I was in Hawaii or Mexico. Mm -hmm. Those were just things. And so I was able to focus and stay you know, awake longer and sleep better when I got home. And it's like, you know, this, this is like a little puzzle coming together here. There's some pieces I need to bring all this in and maybe I need to do more of these kinds of things. Yeah, it's, it's not actually adrenaline, it's dopamine and andamide um, and a couple other neurochemicals. That It's a cocktail yeah. that your body produces when you hit these kind of states. It's nice. very fascinating science. I'm involved in a really intense course on this whole thing right now and how to purposely induce this into your life and to the lives of others. Yeah, it's it fascinating. fascinating science. Mm -hmm. So no, you're, exp you're, you're validating all the science, not all, but the, there's five main research places on, on the planet that are researching this in a big way right now, and you are validating their research. Yeah, and I have we not used to tell people in the, in the mountain guiding business that it's the dehydrated food. <laughs> and, and it, because, you know, you go go climb Mount Rainier, right? And it's, it's a four-day trip. And, and what did they eat the entire time? Dehydrated food. And people will go, I just feel so much better. It's dehydrated food. Of course, it's not. It's, it's, the, it's, the, uh, it's the air. It's moving. It's the grounding being next to nature. There's even some really fascinating studies just what it, what it does to your body to sleep on the ground. Mm -hmm. the, the actual oh, yeah. physical ground. Oh, we could get into a whole new podcast just on the earth. Yeah. When I was a kid, yeah. I even though I lived on a farm, probably a little dangerous, but I went barefoot everywhere, right? Mm -hmm. Barefoot everywhere. And there's science behind going barefoot and pulling from oh, yeah. the earth in, through your feet. Yes. Yeah. Serious science. Mm -hmm. Mark Sisson talks a um, lot about that in his... And mm -hmm. I even read yeah. a book on it that our chief science officer gave me uh, when he went on vacation, and I, I was just... I said I can relate to these because when I was a kid, I was always barefoot, and we we you know, we even ran through the hay fields, and that's hard to do when you're barefoot. That's hard on your feet. Yeah, I grew up with grandparents who ran through cornfields. Yeah, But uh, there's something to it. So you know, I know we're getting a little off track, but we're not. No, this really, is that. No, this is where we want to go. Together. This is where we want to go. Um, you know, it's it's the whole at earth at peace at, and you know, some of it just took me back to a place I hadn't been since the farm boy days, right? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, farm boys, you know, and I'm a, I'm a, the smaller stock, smaller little guy, um, but people always, you know, to this day say, God, your hands, why, you're so strong for a small guy. It's my farm days. I'm telling you, you don't lose it. Right. 
uh, and I come ironically I come from a family of a lot of six footers <laughs> uh, my siblings are all six feet six two six three so don't even go there I don't know what happened uh, I tell and them I got the brains high? and uh, you know I don't know but and how uh, tall I'm five eight <laughs> okay. so uh, yeah they're uh, I don't know big guys in my family my grandpas were both big but um, you know when you grow up on the farm you work so hard and you eat these You'd literally eat piles of food three times a day, right? Clockwork. And then you go back out and work again. And it didn't matter how small, how young, how old, what your size was, you were always in shape. You didn't have to go to the gym. You didn't have to do anything. You just did life mm -hmm. on the farm. And of course, then I got into the business world and I started to put on the pounds and sit behind the desk. And, you know, that got me involved in the martial arts and those were the best shape days of my last 30 years no question i i you know had it not been for two torn rotator cuffs i'd probably still be doing it but so we're not talking about sugar right now but i'm sure your uh, wisconsin meals were were not sugar everything was farm yeah. we ate everything off the land everything off the land yeah, yeah no sugar we, we jarred tomatoes growing up my, oh, my parents were old farmers from italy so oh. Yeah, we didn't have sugar either. Wow, lucky scarred <laughs> tomatoes. I got a question for you, and this is kind of, and I'll lead up afterwards. But how much did you think about work when you were dog sledding? Not one iota. Not, not one minute. Not even one email. Nothing. Never how thought about it. From was the, that? Very liberating. Yeah. Very liberating. So I, I spent a lot of time in Afghanistan. Everybody, everybody's like, "We're scared." He wasn't dog sledding, though. No, I wasn't dog sledding. <laughs> I was a different kind of sledding. Um, the one thing that I found was so easy over there, and because we're talking about third world country, a, a war-toned country for like 20, 30 years here, but, or even longer actually, but there were no distractions. There was nothing to get caught up in. There was no like right. traffic. There was no, you know, the internet's not working. There's right. no, you know, let's go to Starbucks. Oh crap, there's a line at Starbucks. I mean, it was none of that. And it was literally for me, it was iconic of stopping and smelling the roses because everything slowed down like 100 miles an hour. And, you know, when we weren't working, literally nothing to do except relax and yeah. just clear your mind out. So yeah, I think that's what it was. And I think we went constant, you know. We, yeah. we, we didn't even land. The There's only one flight a day yeah. to go from Salt Lake to Fairbanks. <laughs> it gets in at 1.30 in the morning. So we were already in bed at 3 in the morning the first night, and we dog sledded it until 3 in the morning the next night. And we were in hot springs in China at two in the morning the next night, so we didn't sleep a lot, especially at night. And yet, I was more awake, I was more invigorated, I was more on point and focused, more relaxed, mm -hmm. and really recharged when I got home in a way I hadn't been in years. I would do a trip like this all over again, or something similar. Mm -hmm. I think the best trips are those outdoor adventures you know there, yeah there's a lot of high costs involved in this the getting there but if you put yourself in the place of the locals there's really not right? they have all the gear they don't yeah. have to fly to get there so their day-to-day -day is completely different I mean it's not a money factor as much as it is it's more of a survival and this is just yeah. how they live right mm -hmm. especially the people in the wilderness that this this is what they do but you leave out all those travel expenses it really is a fairly inexpensive journey you're not paying monies for tours and uh, you know out on the boat sailing or whatever uh, mm -hmm. wherever you are it's you're in the you're with nature I mean we're in a nice fishing shack we're on a dog sled we're on snowmobiles and you're you know we're seeing moose and absorbing nature and it's like gosh, I, I just this is me this is my I could I could do this again I could live in Fairbanks I kept saying to myself <laughs> don't know if I would want to 
and I heard the summers are pretty incredible up there. But the point is, it's I think whatever you do, and if you have the capability and you go on these vacations, if this is how you get your break, because I've done the same thing, occasionally you're going to have to get off the beaten path and do something very different. Mm -hmm. And this was very different, and because of it, now I, I want to do this kind of thing more than a traditional vacation. Sounds like he needs to come to Operation Limitless event. <laughs> well, so I was just going to say, I was just before, say before something. you head down that path, we need to take a break, a little pause for the cause yeah. here. Um, so Brad can do that voodoo that he do. So we'll be right back with Jerry Seidel. Hello, my friends. This is Brad Newfeld, and I want to thank you for tuning in to the Resilience Talk Network. You can listen to my show, Resilience, every morning, Monday through Friday at 8 a.m. Mountain Standard Time. On my show, we will be discussing what it takes for you to overcome the day-to-day -day challenges that all of us face in life, as well as some of the devastating ones that may lead us to feelings of hopelessness and despair. It's my goal to provide you with the tools and skills that you need to overcome anything that is thrown your way. To find out more about my show, visit our website at www.resiliencetalk.com. That's www.resiliencetalk.com. And as always, until we meet again, go for everything that you want in life and make it happen. Hi, this is Tamara K. Anderson, and I want to share something special with you. When our son Nathan was diagnosed with autism, I felt like the life we had expected for him was ripped away, and with it, my own heart shattered as well. It's very common for families to feel anger, pain, confusion, and anxiety when a child is diagnosed. This is where my book, Normal For Me, comes into play. It shares my story of learning to replace my pain with acceptance, peace, joy, and hope. Normal For Me has helped change many lives, and I'd like to give this book to as many families as possible. We put together something I think is really special. My friends and listeners can order copies of my book at a significantly discounted price, and we will send them to families who have just had a child diagnosed with autism or another special needs diagnosis. We will put your name inside the cover so they will know someone out there loves them and wants to help. I will also sign each copy. You can order as little as one or as many as hundreds to be shared with others. So go to my website, TamaraKAnderson.com, and visit the store section for more information and to place your order. You can bless the lives of many families by sending them hope, love, and peace. Check it out today at TamaraKAnderson.com and help me spread hope to the world. Okay, and we're back with Jerry Seidel. Jerry, again, thanks for being here and sharing some adventures and some stories with us. And I think Mark wants to talk, uh, take it away from here for a minute. He's got a few questions for you. So, Jerry, we were just talking before the break um, about some of the adventures you've done and how how they reset uh, folks and, and how that's been a real pivotal way for you to sort of reset in your own life. But one of the things that you said was interesting to me, and I'm going to share a quick little quote 
our little little story, you were talking about how you would go live at Fairbanks, right? Because you found that, that that destination was what did it for you. And I was in uh, Iceland to get ready for an event, and um, we were just talking to some some tourists, and you know, at one of the uh, at one of the uh, hot plumes, and we were asking. They were they were talking about all the stuff that they that they did that day and they hiked and they went and saw this hot springs and they uh, they went and saw this one thing and and I come to find out they're from Wyoming and I'm like you had to travel all the way to Iceland to do what you could have done in your own backyard so the point is we live here in Utah I, I we just found out you just live a couple of miles between me and Sal so in Sandy uh, area and my question is and part of sort of my adventure background is taking people on local adventures that they didn't even realize were right here in their own backyard. What do you think keeps people from just taking advantage of the reset that's right in front of them? Why does it always have to be a destination, right? Uh, I think it's the intrigue of the destination. It's funny that yesterday morning, uh, when I was watching Fox 13 local, getting dressed, they were talking about you know which national park here in Salt in Utah was the best. With is it Zion's or Arches? And there were arguments. And I'm going, damn! I've gone to Zion's a few times. I've lived here 31 years. I've only been to Zion's. I haven't been to Arches. I haven't been to Canyonlands. And I've traveled to 27 countries, seven continents, all 50 states in yeah. the United States. I've, I've been, been to Antarctica and I've been to the Arctic Circle. I've been to South Pole and at the Arctic Circle, not the North Pole. I took a trip a few years ago. You might not be aware of this. Out of uh, when I was working in Malaysia for a year as a consultant, a side trip to New Zealand, and then I took a ferry. They call it a cutter from Christchurch to uh, the South Pole. Yeah, so I uh-huh. actually I've got been to on the that. I have been on that exact same one. Yeah. I loved it's that just, trip. It was one of those bucket list things. Yeah, but so that's my point is. And here's something interesting. I'll, 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 I'll finish my question by saying I was in Mongolia to get ready for the Spartan Nagogi. And while we were there, we were in the airport trying to get some stuff out of customs. <clears throat> and there was a, 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 a family. And they were getting on the plane. And they heard me speaking English. And they said, hey, you speak English. And I said, yeah. Well, we're going to America right now on an adventure. I'm like, yeah, where are you going? We're going to Utah. And I'm like, I'm from Utah. But there were all kinds of people. So I'm in Mongolia thinking I'm on this grand adventure. And the people in Mongolia want to come to Utah on their grand adventure. Right. So I wonder if we shouldn't just adventure where we are. Well, we shouldn't. Here, here's the reason why. I, I know the answer to this. When I lived in California those first five years of my career, I lived in the, I started in the valley. And before I moved, I had been living in a home I purchased in Orange County. So I had lived in the two extremes right and when I was in the valley I was very close to Zuma and Malibu and uh, you know I made it quite regularly to the beach you know living in California got to do the beach thing but the longer I lived in California over five years the less frequent I went to the beach mm-hmm. and you started I, going to big I was traveling and, to places yeah. like Utah and it's you know I met my ex here and that's one of the reasons I moved here but I wanted to move out of LA I was you know grew up in Wisconsin I moved to LA I wanted a hybrid. I wanted I was a, say, a small, big, culture big, small town. Right, right, right. So Utah fitted. That's how I ended up moving here for a number of reasons. But the long and short of it was when I didn't live here, I skied more than I do. I live in miles 
five and a half miles from Alton. <laughs> and I, I like to ski, and I don't really ski. And I come up with every reason on weekends, like I'm a little tired or it's been a long week. And then I, you know, trance off to Fairbanks and then take a car and drive to North Pole, Alaska to do dog sledding. <laughs> it's, it's the adventure, but I think part of it is the same thing you say every single time. I live here, I can always do that, and I will. And then you never do. Right. You live here, you can always do it, it's what you can't always do. I'm not always going to go to Fairbanks. Mm -hmm. But the fact is we get so stuck in that, I live here, I can do that any day. You're right, but do you do it? Will you do it? Right. And the answer is probably not. Yep. And unfortunately, this is why me, who loves national parks, and I ventured off to Yellowstone and Kentucky and to the Mammoth Caves, but I've got... We've probably got more national parks in the state of Utah than any other state. I think we actually we, do. We actually do. We do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I've been to one. And why is that? Because I live here. And I can do it anytime. <laughs> okay, well, I'm so I'm now 58. I'm, I'm officially inviting you. There you go. I'm going to take you to a place in Arches that know that, that will blow your mind. Um, and you will just be like, I'll this was in my backyard? I'll take you. I'm going to take you. All right. So. But I, I really think we get stuck up in the whole, it's a mental thing. It's. I live here, I can do it anytime. That I don't have to rush off. I, that's not where I'm going to use my vacation because I can do that next week, next month, next year. Right. But you say next week, next month, next year, and you say it over and over, and years go by, decades go by. I've lived here 30 years now, 31. And I still haven't been to these places. And I love these kinds of places. So, so he, shame on us. So he led into something for you, Bill, because he said stuck up. So take it from there. <laughs> Bill, what do we got to do to have you get Jerry on a bobsled, going down a bobsled run up at the park or something? Oh, we, can, we, 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 can, we can work that out for sure. <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, Jerry, I wanted to kind of take a step back, kind of pivot back to something you are talking about earlier today, because I think some of us here always have an opportunity to um, mentor or coach people, executives and stuff, and, and I, I get to do that every now and then, and we always get people, and I've, I've heard this from other people all the time, like, oh, you're so lucky to do what you do, yada, yada, yada. But, you know, Operation Limitless is about talking about the one percenters, which you obviously exude. If you if you can, like, you, you started going down a path that I wanted to hear more about because this is conversations I have with, with people I work with that, you know, as the, the senior vice president of sales and marketing, you also do xyz and it's that entrepreneurial mindset that also helps you be really successful at what you do um, because I've, I've worked with some organizations where you ask somebody to do something and they're like oh that's not my job and so they have that really negative mindset that just keeps them in that bubble uh, i guess if you can talk a little bit more about how important it is as a leader as a one percenter to actually understand your organization or the business or the product outside of just i'm the senior vice president of sales and marketing uh, so if you could talk a little bit more about that again to help our viewers understand the importance of not just keyholing themselves in i'm a sales guy and that's all i do or i'm an operations guy and that's all i do and and the people i want to hear this are the ones that are like oh i want to have his job someday or i want to have his job or i want to I want to be able to travel here and there and do all the things that Jerry does, 
but they they can't do it because they've pigeon him pigeonholed themselves into this is all I do. Yeah, yeah. that's a really good yeah. question, Bill. Well, I think there's you could pick four or five words to probably answer your question, and you know I could go off on a tangent any, any one of those words, but I think you have a passion is key, and you mentioned it earlier, uh, Mark. Um, I, I'm very passionate about what I do, whether it's work or play. Uh, I don't engage in anything that I can't be passionate about. If I'm not passionate about, I, I, I want to shift gears and do something different. And I'm willing to, even things I'm not interested in, I'll give it my best shot. And then you decide for yourself whether that's right for you or not. But I think when it comes to like a career path, whether it's a career or an adventure or an activity, um, keeping it real is being grounded. And it all comes down to people. Um, my staff is 100% women. I don't have one male on my staff. And, you know, some people, well, make jokes about that. Well, you know, you got all these... No, I don't look at it that way. In fact, when I interview people, nine out of ten times, the women are the leading candidates. And, and you know why that is, because they have to try twice as hard, they have to do everything three times. Women are the hardest workers you're ever going to find. And that's not why I hire them. I hire them because they're the best qualified. But when I interview men and women, the women always have the charge to go that extra length. They're passionate, more passionate about what, and that's why I hired them. But you have a passion for what you do, but keep grounded. And everyone else, regardless of their position, whether they work for you or you report to them, uh, they're human beings. And you have to keep that in, in, in focus every day. You know, you, you, I treat everybody the same. It doesn't matter. I treat everyone 100% the same, whether it's the owners of our company or the people working in the warehouse. I mean, I appreciate them. I let them know it. And ultimately, whether they report to you or have anything to do with your day-to-day -day functions, it will come back and help you. It will come back and help you. The other thing is desire versus ambition. I mean, we all have desires to exceed, excel, do whatever. We all have desire. You can take any homeless person off the street and he has desires. Sure, he wants to go to Mexico and Hawaii and maybe dog sled in Alaska too. He has a desire to do those things and there's a big difference between desire and ambition. Mm -hmm. It's people with ambition to fulfill their desire. Everyone, desire gets you nowhere. It's just a want. It's ambition that gets you to the end game. And you just have to be ambitious and there's no such thing as laziness. Everyone's capable. Um, so you just have to be passionate, ambitious, and grounded. I think those are really important attributes to succeeding in whatever it is you do. That's a great answer. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's awesome. It reminds me of a book I'm currently reading, which is The Ideal Team Player by Patrick Lencioni. Um, always talks about how do you find like that, that perfect employee or that perfect team player, and the words that they use is, Hungry, humble, and smart, right? You gotta be hungry, you gotta have hum you gotta be humble, and then you just gotta be smart. And it's not smart like book smart, it's about it's about people smarts, right? Knowing how to work with the people around you on a day to day basis. So I, I appreciate you touching up on that. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. That was great. So you got a question? I, I yeah, feel like I, I had my back to you a little bit. I apologize for that. That's all right. I'm just low man. I'm just waiting for everybody. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm trying big tears for you over here. <laughs> so I love the background of the farm story because I think that just exemplifies what Bill just said about being hungry, humble, because that's probably most of the, the most humble 
lifestyle you could ever have. And that's kind of like my family came from Italy was kind of very similar to that. But my big interest and my big uh, question to you is like starting out, there's always the feast or famine and you even volunteer to work for free. And, and going through some of the training I've done, like I put it all out there. It was either it was either succeed or there was nothing to go back to. Yeah. Um, and Bring that kept yeah, and that kept me that kept me alive and hungry. So like for you, what was it that that kept you alive and hungry and pushing to make sure that hey, I'm not going back to the farm if I can say that. Well, yeah, I, people ask me all the time whether I actually liked growing up on the farm and. You know, the thing I remember as a kid um, is whenever we went somewhere, like a wedding or something, farmers complain a lot, right? It's like, <laughs> the weather is not cooperating, at that damn tractor broke down, or what, they always complain. So they must, know, they so must you know be Italian. Yeah, I do. They must be Italian. <laughs> and then I realized they were complaining no matter where you went. Yeah. They would complain at the weddings and the birthdays and the celebrations and after church, whatever, they would complain. And then I realized they weren't really complaining. They were talking about what they love to do. Yeah. People who, even in complaint, people who talk about their jobs all the time actually love what they do. Yeah. And farmers, if you know real good farm, farmers love what they do. Mm -hmm. They complain a lot, but it's because that's their passion. Sure. And, um, hmm. you know, you were talking about whether I missed the farm or I wanted to go back to that lifestyle or whether my trip to Anchorage last week, which I said, kind of jarred what I remember as a kid. It's like, okay, I forgot how important this is to be with nature. I think the difference was, why did I move to LA, for example? Um, I wanted to get into the music business. I had a music mentality. I was a singer. I, everyone thought that's where I was destined to go. And, and I'll be honest, uh, when I started working as a job to make some money to get to that point and then never turn back, it was because I was making money and I was able to get the car and the apartment and the house and some of the things. I wanted nice things too. Um, and I did want that and I wanted to be able to travel and I wanted the adventure and there was no guarantee of being successful in music and there was more of a guarantee yeah. in having a normal living. My sure. living is pharmaceutical, someone else's is in the industry or engineering, whatever your career. I knew I could fulfill a lot of my bucket list items, right? And I probably wouldn't be able to unless I became a really famous musician, which, you know, even the best singers don't always get found. Sure. Some of it's just by sheer luck. So it was more of a guaranteed path to be mm -hmm. able to fulfill dreams. I could easily go back to the farm. And I thought in the early 10, first 10 years of my career, I would go back in the summers and help bale hay. And I loved it. It was like so different back to this, you know, buck the bells and unload hay and in the summer heat and get the farmer's tan. I, I used to do that a lot until my career, you know, really got to a point where it was really taking up all my time. But I think the point is that, you know, you have desire, you want to fill dreams and it does take money to fulfill some dreams. But it doesn't take, all dreams don't need money, but um, a lot of it stemmed to that. I wanted to travel the world. And I have. Um, I've been so many places, but there's so many more I want to go. Yeah. And, and for me, you know, I'm 58. Hopefully I will live to 98, you know, or 88 or 90. I hope I can live another 30 years or so. Um, but if I don't, I'm happy where I've come. It's just that there's so much more a person wants to accomplish. And I, I don't. I think we were literally put here to do as many things as we could before we die. Mm -hmm. That's the only thing we were put here for. Do everything you can do, and then you go away. 
And there's some people who never leave their home state, never leave their hometown. I know hundreds of those people grew up where I grew up, never left the state of Wisconsin. And they're happy, but they're happy because they don't know better. They're happy because they're yeah, fine the with their situation. Ignorance is and bliss that's in fine. that case, yeah. That's not me. I, I had a desire and more than the desire to want to do those things, I had the passion and the ambition to make them reality. And, um, you know, I've made a good living. I, and I'm probably at the, the epitome of my career in terms of the, the living I am making and, and, and everything. But believe it or not, you could take everything I have, the house I live in and everything away, and it would not phase me a bit. I know that for a fact. I know that with absolute certainty that um, I might grab a few books off my thousands of books I have at home. I'm a big book reader and collector. I'd grab a couple of key books, and that would be it, and some mementos. But I don't need all that stuff. I think it's just, they're just things about keeping it, you know, there's people who literally get to the point where they have to have those things. Sure. I'm probably more people who have the big homes and the fancy cars actually have to have them. That's what makes them tick, and that's sad. I don't need any of that stuff. It's just circumstances. I got them out of my circumstances. Take them away tomorrow, nothing can take away what's in my head. Yeah. Nothing can take away the experiences, the adventures, you know, um, and, and I think that's the most important thing. What you, when you die, none of the stuff you have can be buried with you but everything is still in your head. You die with everything you've ever done in your head. And that's, that's why dementia and Alzheimer's is such a sad situation, right? Mm -hmm. People are still alive and they forget all the great things they right. did. I see my mom going through this now and it's just, it's really sad to, to, to watch people experience that. It's sad they have to reach that phase in their life. But I, I really think it's, it's the most important things you can take with you are what you've done, not what you have. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, my mom, that's literally what's happening right now. Yeah. But um, No, that, that's impressive because, you know, a lot of people think, oh, I want this, I want that, I want to be rich, but they forget that sometimes being free is more enriching or more powerful than that. And being free in a sense to experience life the way it's meant to be, not just, you know, hiding, or not hiding, I shouldn't say hiding, but being stuck behind a desk or working so hard that you don't know, you forget what life is about. Yeah, You know, I'm 58, and I'll be 59 this year, and 51 years of the 58, I lived in two houses in my life. Most people live in a new place, apartment, house, whatever, every 8 to 10 years. Yep. And their desire to move relocates. not enough. It's not big enough, not small enough. Whatever the situation is, I'm content, you know, with my environment, and that's key, being content with your environment. Creating so environment. I built mm -hmm. my house when I moved here. And I've been in the same house ever since. Yeah. I've renovated it. I've made it more modern. But I'm comfortable. And there's memories in the house. Same with the farmhouse in Wisconsin where I grew up. My brother's running the farm and he owns the house now because my mom, my dad has passed. My mom's in a retired home. But, but my point is, I grew up in the same farmhouse, right? My whole life. And then I had a couple of changes between dorms and fraternity house and college. But aside from that, I've been in two homes the majority of my years. And uh, that complacency with your surroundings is so important, too. Yeah. It's not about, I need a bigger house, I need a bigger car. I'm literally happy with the things I have. And I have nice things. I just don't need to go to the next level, or the next level, or the sure. next. I mean, what is the next level? Are you ever satisfied? Mm -hmm. I would rather go, you know, take the money and go some adventure. Um, I was talking about 
reaching your career <coughs> plateau, you know, in terms of making financial, whether it's financial or other or, or <coughs> position. And I'm kind of at the peak of that, and I've been in higher positions as owner or founder. But um, I think the one thing that I do more than anything else is I could do more than what I already do, but a big part of what I do in life is giving back. When I went last week to Alaska, I took friends with me. I paid their entire trips so they could experience the adventure that they'll never experience in their life. And uh, I get a huge part. I probably give back 30 to 40% of my income every year in charitable. But not the kind of charities, somewhat to charities you think about, Heart Association. We all do those little things here and there. I mean, I, I literally give it back to other people. I help a lot of people out. Help people who are struggling or people who just are down on their times. And I've had a couple years in my whole career that were not exactly the best years. You know, startup companies that didn't take off. Um, and, you know, I had to survive on a lot less income. And that's hard. And so I can relate to people. But I, I love giving back to people and helping people. And so... It gets back to the point I made earlier about when you're working and regardless of your position, whether it's the person in the warehouse or the CEO of the company, and if you're in the middle or you're at the top, it doesn't matter. If you treat every person as a person right. and give back, I'm telling you what, it, don't look for any payback. It will naturally come. It will come, and you know I, I do believe in karma, and I believe in all of that stuff. Um, it's, just, it's just part of being a good human being, I think. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, we need to take one more pause for the cause, and we'll come back. So we got one more break here, and uh, let Brad do that voodoo that he do, and we'll be back with uh, to finish up with Jerry Seidel. Welcome to the Resilience Talk Network. My name is Jay Walter, and I'm the host of Rebuilding. Heard every weekday night from 6 to 7 p.m. You can listen in and learn how to face your fears, overcome obstacles, and make dreams a reality. So listen every weekday night from 6 to 7 p.m. right here on the Resilience Talk Network. And we're back with Jerry Seidel. Uh, Jerry, um, as we wrap up here, one, thanks again for being here. It's been, we've got some phenomenal uh, advice, uh, some sage wisdom, if you will. On, lots of good nuggets. Yeah, lots of good things. So this is kind of the, a segment that Mark started. You can ask any of the hosts anything you want because we've been sitting here picking your brain and asking you questions all this time. So if there's something you want to ask. And then we'd like to know how we could uh, draw people into your world or uh, I know maybe you want to make a, a a plug for the fine people yeah. that you work for and all the cool stuff that they do on a on a national international global level yeah so yeah it's interesting that one of the reasons I took the job in fact that I'm currently at I've been here almost three years and uh, love it uh, hard work um, as it is growing any kind of company but I was drawn in by their the fact that we are privately owned by a couple and um, the one thing they have done since day one uh, at U theory the company I work for is they give back a sizable percentage of their profits um, to charity and they particularly give it back to um, third world countries and underprivileged kids I mean um, you may have heard of the glue kids from Africa that sniff glue and uh, you, or maybe you haven't so they're they give back to these charities to rehabilitate kids um, bring them into homes um, a lot of where our ingredients are grown, like in Peru, uh, 
our turmeric, one of our key selling products, is grown in fields that have to be watered, so they bring in tanks of water. Mm -hmm. So we have to pay for this, of course, because we have interest in these <coughs> these plants that are grown on this, this farmland. And when these tanks of water are brought in, these communities are very third world, and they are often, their wells are dry, they don't have water. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So for every truckload of water, as an example, that we bring in to water the fields, we give one truckload of water to the community. One and for one. The company pays That's this. cool. So they're always paying it forward. We do a lot of charity work here in the U.S. with organizations, a lot of children's charities. Um, and it's really a, an important part of what the company does. I've kind of do the same thing with, you know, helping whether it's friends or family or even people I don't know extremely well but know that they need help. I, I like to give back and I do give a part of my income back and I like to see my company doing the same. And It, it did draw me in and the story drew me in and it's, it's great to know that not only do we have a company that makes great products but um, the story behind the products. And the thing is they don't flaunt it, they don't make a big to-do out of it, they don't publicize this extensively it's just something they do and they're not looking for the the story they're looking they, it just it makes them better people it's part and, of DNA and it, you know what they get back rewards from it our company's successful our company is flourishing our company is growing we've had dynamic years for 10 straight years and and I gotta believe a part of it is due to the, the work and the dedication and the products themselves but I really believe a big part of it is the fact they give back yeah, I really believe there's this this invisible power out there that just rewards the people who pay it forward and are already doing good in the world. So I, I like that because it's kind of my mantra and it matches the mantra of the owners of our company. So that's uh, awesome. yeah, that's outstanding. And tell everybody, um, let's do this: the name of the companies, some of the products they sell, and where they might be able to find those best places to get those products, that kind of stuff. Sure. So you'll hear the name Neutrawise, which is the parent company. The brand is Youth Theory. And if you've ever walked into a Costco, and we do, we're probably one of the best-selling products. And I think we are the single best-selling product in the pharmacy section. Um, our number one products are turmeric. You can buy the turmeric tablets, uh, mm -hmm. uh, collagen. Uh, our owner was the founder of the collagen uh, um, revolution of the past decade. And um, we make products uh, for uh, digestive and we make products for health and wellness, uh, including um, what's called emotional wellness, which those products did really well this past year. Anything related <laughs> to sleep issues, uh, stress, relaxing, we make a lot of products. Our company makes really high-end products. They've been tested. They're the highest quality products you can get on the market, but they're sold at a kind of a mid-tier price. So we give people a really good value compared to what's out there. Yeah, um, mm -hmm. it's just a really different company. It's it's a very singular strategy. Don't come, you know? Don't ever give up on quality and purity, and but offer your product at a really sensible price so consumers can can buy it. So proud to be at Youth Theory. Proud to be in the position I'm in proud to be part of uh, the growth they're experiencing and uh, I, I love being along for the ride. Is it youththeory.com? Youththeory.com you can see all of our products there and um, you know uh, they're all natural tested highly tested super good quality and uh, you can't go wrong. So if anybody wants to meet you reach out to you how would they connect with you personally? They can actually on youththeory.com they can uh, you know hit contact and, and just 
you know, reach out and say they want to talk to Jerry, or and they'll they'll put them in touch with me. Nice. Or they could they could email or call me as well. We can share that information. It's f whatever you want to share is fine with us. Um, yeah, you're welcome so. to reach out to me. Um, it's simple. If uh, they the website is utheory.com, y-o-u-theory.com, and they can reach me at jerrys at utheory.com, j-e-r-r-y-s, uh, first name and last initial at utheory.com. Very cool. Awesome. Bill, any last thoughts from you? Any any comments, questions, anything like that? No, it was great. I really enjoyed the conversation and, and at the same time have an opportunity to uh, do some research on U-Theory as well. Um, definitely have seen those products in Costco and yeah, I'd love to talk to you about it more. Great. great. Awesome. Mark, anything from you? No, it's, I've been in, uh, been energized and motivated. I appreciate the time. <laughs> Sal, how about you? Uh, my brother's name is Jerry. He grew up on a farm. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk to you about Peru. Oh, great. My wife's family's from Peru, and there's some things there that oh, he's got a, yeah. that I'd like to maybe pick your brain if that's yeah, okay. Yeah, I've been to Lima and Machu Picchu. Yeah. Awesome. And uh, Jerry, it's just great to see you again. Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's we were talking on the phone yesterday. We we really haven't connected in person for a few years. Maybe, I think it may have even been at one of your New Year's Eve parties a few <laughs> years back. I, but, I, um, I think I came to... Uh, I, I came down to the the uh, bagel, bagel shop, shop. Yeah. that you like to frequent. Yes, I do. I, <laughs> it, it, one of I his favorite one. places is a bagel shop right in the strip mall where the martial arts school is. Oh, so yeah. If I ever go think, hmm, wonder where Jerry's at, I'll just look for his car and see if he's <laughs> if the I'm in town, shop. you're going to catch me at the bagel shop every morning for the past 23 years having coffee. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, sometimes I'm not there for a week because I'm out of town for a week. But uh, during COVID, of course, uh, I've been home more, and so I've been there much more frequently. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, maybe we'll have you come down if you're up for it and talk to sure. the kids and maybe show some pictures of your dog sled trip. Mark's been in Speak. Sal comes in and speaks. Yeah, we'd Bill's love been that. down and spoke. Brad's even been in and spoke. And, I love doing that. And, um, yeah, it's just great to see you and spend some time. Absolutely. So. Likewise. Well, and with that, Jerry, you're definitely somebody we consider to be limitless. And for all of us here in the studio, Bill Schiffenauer, who happens to be at home today, uh, Mark Peterson, Sal Rosano, myself, Brett Lechnerberg, have a limitless day.